Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is February 25th, 2020, and this is episode 23, part 3 of the interview with Kelly Stocklin. Now, last time on Rooster Tail Talk... I discussed a few different things with Kelly Stockland, mainly their off-season preparations for the 2020 racing season, as well as a bit of the team history, and even their driver, Dustin Nichols. But with all good things, they must come to an end, as this is our last portion of the interview with Kelly. Now, for the exciting conclusion of the Kelly Stockland trilogy. Well, I'll shift gears a little bit and talk about H1. Okay. I know you have some involvement with H1 and working with the rulebook. Could you talk, speak a little bit more to... Uh, how you're helping H1 and uh, your role with that. Well, some people would qu- question your statement that I'm helping H1. <laughs> but, um, we get criticized a lot um, by saying, you know, the the asylum is being run by the inmates um, and people think that's wrong. Um, I would like nothing better than to have someone outside the sport run this whole thing so all I have to do is make my hydroplane go run and go race my hydroplane. I would love to do that. But we don't have people beating down the door to run this thing. It takes an incredible amount of work and dedication and you need to know something about hydroplanes to do this it, you you can't just walk in the door and do this and um, we've had people that are unfamiliar with hydroplane <clears throat> racing try to guide us or whatever you want to call it and mm-hmm. their suggestions probably make sense to them but they're not practical for either where we're at as far as manpower and finances and what have you or they're just totally off the wall yeah and so until we find somebody that understands that what it takes to to do this and where we're at and what we're capable of uh, we kind of got to do it ourselves. Um, I would love to have some sports marketing guy come in and say, here's a sponsor for a whole bunch of money, and we're mm-hmm. going to put you on TV, and you guys are all going to have new uniforms, and every one of you guys, you know, you have to, you're instantly going to be a professional team and all this stuff. First of all, that's not going to happen in motorsports. Yeah. The The world right now does not care very much about motorsports. It cares about athletic sports. Yeah. Football is bigger than it's ever been. Um, basketball. Um, motorsports is having a tough time. It, it's it's all around, right? It's not, yep. it's not just Every, one, one side of motorsports. It's all anything with a motor in it that's on a decline, unfortunately. Yep. And um, so... I don't see, you know, something big coming in a big step. I think we'll get better than we are right now, but it's going to be an evolution, and it'll be slow and methodic. So to get back to 
we're we're doing what we can to try and help keep an organization that can promote hydroplane racing and from where it was five years ago to where it is now although it may not be obvious to the spectator it's made tremendous strides and that's because the people that are doing it are working pretty hard to do it and again it's in addition to having a full-time job so that you can support your family doing the hydroplane thing on the side whatever other things your life takes from you and run the h1 organization <laughs> now we meet every other sunday for oh really yes we meet wow. two times a month we show up at 10 o'clock and it usually goes at least until one o'clock every other sunday and we've been doing that with the exception of during the racing season for the last two years. Okay. And people will say, well, what have you done with all that time? Well, I'm not going to tell you what we've done with it because you don't have enough time for me to list all the things that nobody sees that we do right. to make this happen. Right. And <clears throat> it's pretty easy for somebody to say, well, I could fix it. Well... <laughs> I don't believe that you, you know, that, that yeah. it's as easy as you think it is. Yeah. Trust me. Um, now, I got given the rule book. It was a a fairly innocent thing at the time. Uh, I think the reason why I was given the rule book is because I'm not a T55 guy, and so I don't really have a dog in the fight. Right. So if a rule gets promoted, changed, or discussed, the suspicion of, okay, what's in it for you type thing mm -hmm. is less. And, um, and so far that's pretty much been the case. Um, we haven't had to change too many rules, but we've had a lot of rule issues. Now, the problem with the rule book right now is it's, I call it a big pile of spaghetti because they find, they, 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 they have a problem about something happens during the racing season. Mm -hmm. And they say, we need to have a rule to fix that problem. And then they get together and they talk about it and they figure out how that's going to fix that problem. And they throw it in the rule book. And then a couple of years later, they have another problem. And they write a rule to fix that one. And that's how this got to where it is, I think. And one of the problems is over the last 20 or 30 years, we have added rules to fix problems and that's not wrong but it's not necessarily right because you can't write a rule to fix one specific issue and not have it create a problem somewhere else I've found mm -hmm. and so you need um, that proactive kind of approach with it right right not so reactive. instead of reactive exactly yeah. so we have this book with a bunch of rules that 
almost don't make any sense sometimes when you read them. And there's some rules in there that, that aren't even a rule. It's just a statement. You know, it's, it's just a statement. And so we, we're really trying to straighten that thing out. Now, another side to the rule book is the penalty side of it. And like, let's talk about Seattle this last year. The year before yeah. or the year before. Yeah. Yeah, Every up. problem in the final heat at Seattle <clears throat> wasn't necessarily the infraction. It was how the penalty was assessed. Right. Right. Andrew and Jimmy Shane ran one of the most fantastic final heats in Seattle a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. People that say hydroplane racing is not competitive right now do not understand or are not paying attention. You go look at some oh. of the old videos from years ago. <laughs> the, the parades. <laughs> and tell me yeah. you want that. They yeah. say we want to go back to the old days. Well, that's what yeah. you'd get back in the old days. Yeah. You look at the final heats nowadays. Oh, I mean, yeah. that thing was absolutely incredible. What took Andrew out was he hit a buoy during the pre during the five-minute warm-up period. Okay, should he be disqualified for that? Should it be a one-minute penalty? Well, you want something to make him not hit the buoy, but should it, should it affect the outcome of the race? Well, that's a tough one to talk about because people complain that there's too much arbitrary... Um, decisions in boat racing. Okay. That was not an arbitrary call. He hit a buoy. He gets called out. But it, the buoy was an insignificant buoy. And it didn't give him a better position on the race course. It did nothing. Right. All it did was take him out of the race. Right. Yeah. But if we say, oh, that was not a, that was not a significant buoy and he didn't, he didn't get a better position for the race, that would be an arbitrary call now, wouldn't it? It would. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Which one do you do? So one of the greatest final heats... That, that was. Gets, it was. Yeah, it was. I remember the fans actually went, were going crazy for that one. I left Seafair that year thinking that was probably the best one I've seen. At Seafair, it was it was a fantastic heat. Yes, and then <laughs> and then that happened. Yeah. So he shouldn't have hit the buoy. Yeah. It should be a situation where you don't hit the buoy, and if you know, and you shouldn't. If you want to cut the course and you hit a buoy and there's no penalty, there wouldn't be any buoys left. <clears throat> you know, um, but it, how do you how do you manage that? Okay. Give him a $1,000 fine. Well, the, the, the buoy was probably $700. Um, okay, let's make it a $2,000 fine then. <laughs> well, if it's at the Gold Cup and somebody, a buoy's in the way to get in position to win the Gold Cup, do you think the owner's going to care about the $2,000 no. for paying <laughs> for the buoy? They'll pay $6,000 for free buoys, right? Yeah, they'll yeah. go, I'll, I'll, take, yeah. I'll pay the fine. Yeah. So yeah. how do you do this? Yeah. So... That's one of the problems in Seattle this year. Um, it was the penalty more than the infraction. Now, the drivers 
are making the infractions, and that's another thing. <clears throat> Last time I checked, the drivers are the one doing the infractions, mm -hmm. and they're yelling at the officials? <laughs> Wait a minute. The officials aren't doing the infraction. The drivers are. You know, so who should be yelling at who? Yeah. Um, and the rule book says that we have a half an hour to decipher legalities after the heat's over. That trophy was given out before the half hour was up. It was. It was. So there's a lot of places where there's problems mm -hmm. in the Seattle final heat. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm saying the whole thing's a mess. So where we're going with the rule book is we're trying to define the rules more clearly, trying to give less arbitrary situations where the the referees don't want to do arbitrary calls either. Why would they want to do that? They want a clear, defined rule and be able to pass judgment without criticism and with confidence. I mean, that's what they want to do, I'm sure. I mean, why wouldn't they? And we need to figure out how to assess penalties that will make it so that they don't want to do the things that and impact the race, mm -hmm. but it doesn't impact the outcome. And that's really difficult to do. NASCAR, you know, they let everybody run across the finish line and then they assess penalties all week later, I'm told. <laughs> I don't know. I've never researched that, but everybody that said that and any time it's said, nobody argues with it, so that must be how it happens. But I don't know how to do that because... A guy can do a whole bunch of penalties to gain a whole bunch of positioning and win the Gold Cup, and he could care less about the rest of the year. Do you take away points? Well, if he's not running for national high points, yeah. he doesn't care. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter at that point. So what do you do? I mean, this is something that we're, we're struggling with. And, and again, the people out there saying, well, just fix the rules. Well, just fix the rules. Yeah, okay, I'll wave my magic wand. You know what? To be honest with you, the drivers are the ones doing the infractions. So talk to your drivers. Tell them to start behaving a little bit. You know, it's, it's difficult because I love the competition and I love the drivers being competitive and all that stuff. Right. But where is that, that sweet spot between all that is my problem, I guess. So now we've, we've taken away the lights because the lights didn't work, the 80 mile an hour Mm -hmm. And the problem with the 80 mile an hour lights isn't the light. It isn't so much that light. What it, the problem that nobody saw coming, I think, was that light is an aircraft beacon mm -hmm. for an airplane. And the only time you run a beacon on an airplane is at night, pretty much. I mean, that's the only time they matter. And if you ever watch an airplane beacon, you don't want the thing to be on for a long time and then off and then on for a long time and then off because other pilots have to see at night and it will affect their vision. So the light goes blink. I mean, it's just on for a split second so that you can see something's out there. It's also out on the water. You, you ever see the, the they, they, they blink really fast because they don't want you to see 
you know, to affect your night vision. Mm -hmm. And it's white. <laughs> okay, well, what color is a skid fin? What, what color is the, the skid fin water? Yeah, what color is the rooster tail? White. And this thing is blinking just for a split second. And you're supposed to see it a quarter mile away in the daylight. Yeah. So, oops. Yeah, and you got six of them to keep track of, oh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the referees are all supposed to see what else is going on on the race course. So, it's a, almost an impossible thing for them to do. And there are people saying that the, the lights don't work and all that stuff. I think they work. I think they're working very well. It's just that you can't see them because of, for various reasons. So we've elected to go to the GPS system that is in the race pack uh, data acquisition system um, that everybody's using in their own boats. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to buy new race pack systems that monitor the fuel flow, the N2, and the GPS speeds uh, because the race pack systems that we have now do not have the GPS units in them. Mm -hmm. And they're getting pretty old and it's not that much more money to buy a whole new system with the GPS than it is to add GPS to the existing ones we have. It's like a hundred bucks difference. So we're just going to get new ones. Yeah. That will be assessed after the race is over just like the technical N2 and fuel flow. And I know that's not a technical foul, but it is going to be a yes-no decision, mm -hmm. like a technical decision is. If you go under the speed limit for, by one-tenth of a mile an hour for over three seconds, that's a foul. And it's, it's recorded. It's in black and white. It's there. Un undisputable. Yes. Now, if you stop and think about it, the way they used to do this, somebody would see the light blinking on the tower. They would get on the radio and call the corral manager and tell that boat's radio man to pick it up. The radio corral would then have to get the radio spotter's attention and tell him to tell the driver to pick it up and then the driver has to pick it up. Now that all has to happen in three seconds. Yeah, yeah. In three seconds or, or past. Well, right. and I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, the guy in the radio corral, when he knows his boat's running up early, and he knows he's probably going under, the radio corral guy's saying, hey, 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 and he's just, he's, he's, He's just talk, he's pretending like he's talking to his, his 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 driver. He's he knows he's being talked to, but he's ignoring it. You just yeah. know he is. Yeah. I mean, who who is he kidding? So all of that goes away. And how do you make a call on that anyway? Yeah. It has to go through three or four different people before you the guy that's doing it even is told he's doing it wrong. So it's a hugely archaic a clumsy way to officiate yeah. that. And that's what the officials were given as tools, which is stupid, in my opinion. So this way, it'll be better. Now, they can monitor that on the dash, they can put a red light on when, when that thing starts saying, hey, you're at, 
whatever speed you want, mm -hmm. say it's one mile an hour over the speed limit, say if, if the speed limit's 80 miles an hour, at 81 miles an hour, for example, the light can start blinking and it can go red at 80. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the dashboard, the guy knows it's there. I mean, how much better can that be? Yeah, just you know? simplify it. Yeah. yeah. So now the other, the other, we we put that, we put that out on on a news release or whatever you want to call it, press release. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. goes out on the internet. One guy says, "I don't like the eighty mile an hour rule." Okay. You don't like the 80 mile an hour rule. Fine. That's not what we're dealing with here. You know, we're not dealing with whether or not we you like the 80 mile an hour rule. We're dealing with there is a speed limit because the park and start thing is totally unfavorable to most of the fans out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in order to stop the park and start, you got to have a speed limit on it. That's what you have to do. What happened was they said it has to be on plane. Well, when you had the conventional boats, because the on plane rule's been around forever, a conventional hydro with a water-cooled engine, he's got his own built-in speed limit. First of all, they don't plane worth a damn, and you'll overheat the engine if you go slow. Right. Enter the, enter the, uh, the turbine engine, the guy can go slow because it's air-cooled. Yeah. And then we, 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 we put an 80 mile an hour speed limit on it. We go, or I mean the park and start thing, they start building the boats so they'll jump up on plane in about 100 feet. Right. And so they're building their boats to the rules. Yeah. And so all that. So that's where the speed limit thing came from was 80 miles an hour was just an arbitrary speed that wouldn't hurt the engines too much and the gearbox and stuff from accelerating from and the water wouldn't be washing over the windshields and all those other problems that you get into when they're doing that. Yeah. And should it be faster, the speed limit? I don't know. Should it be slower? I don't know that either. But it does have to be something because they right. will park at that entrance buoy or the commitment buoy. They will park right there. Yeah. And that's yeah. not what the people want. No, no they don't. And you, you just, there's a lot of other things you could change, right? You, you could try to go back to flag start, but then fans wouldn't like that, you know, you're taking out the jockeying and I'm sure the drivers wouldn't like that. And then it becomes kind of a judgment thing if they're in the box and all that. So it's it's good to see that they're, you're trying to improve the technology to make it not a, a judgment call. Right. right? Yes. So. And we are going to be enforcing the time to assess, you know, the, the, the technical side of the racing piece. Um, so that can just be part of it. It's just, yeah. and and not affecting the outcome of the race. You know, somebody jumps the gun. You got to penalize him. Yeah. Somebody does a lane infraction. Should be penalized. Somebody goes over on N two. He should be penalized. Somebody goes over on uh, fuel flow. He should be penalized. And if he breaks the speed limit, he needs to be penalized. And I don't know exactly the best way to implement those penalties, but those are the rules. And if history repeats itself, the guys that are doing the N2 and the, and the fuel flow, they know they're going to get busted if they screw up. So 
they are taking huge steps to make sure they're within the boundaries of that and you don't get too many technical violations <laughs> anymore yeah well it would stand to be that probably that mile an hour rule would probably fall into place with that that's what we're hoping okay. and those guys don't want to get um, thrown out no no they want to they want to win they don't want to the chance of that the so. drivers are asking for consistency well that's about as consistent as you can get with yeah. the technology that's available definitely okay. so that's what that's all about now the next thing is is we're going to try and clean up the rule book we're working on it pretty hard to get racing rules separated we actually went through the rule book and picked out all the actual racing rules mm -hmm. and it's a pretty small list you know, the, the, the rule book, if you look at it on the H1 site, it's just page after page after page. Well, I kind of look at that as like it's a Bible because it deals with the, the race, the race, racing uh, go-to Bible because it has race site requirements in it. It has safety requirements. It has, um, you know, uh, media requirements. It has all the stuff that you need is all in, in those pages. Yeah. And I want to pull out the racing stuff and have it in a separate section. So oh, the drivers, the corral uh, guys, and the referees are dealing with this book, just a little book. And then you have a race management book for like when you're dealing with the race site or whatever. And have these separate books so that it, it's more defined, yeah. you know, and it would be a lot easier for everybody to understand what's a racing rule and what's not yeah. makes sense to me so <laughs> working with h1 i'm wondering about the next year what we can look forward to is there anything uh any news or um, i know a lot of fans are curious about detroit if that could be back on the schedule or not um, i saw a preliminary preliminary schedule release that wasn't on there um, but anything you could share would be fantastic. um the we are we have brought a couple of people in to the h1 board to help our future uh we got michael mcmorrow who was uh the media <coughs> guru for seafair and um he's got some really good ideas to try and help coordinate and and promote the media side and he's very excited to be involved with us. He has some connections uh, in the media world that, that could be to our benefit. And he's a great guy. And he loves boat racing just like all of us. We, he grew up doing this just like we all did. And uh, he goes off talking about jumbotrons and all this stuff. And if he can do everything he wants to do, it'll be a, a cool thing. But it won't happen in just one year. You know, it's yeah. going to take a long time to, to figure out how to get it all done. Okay. Um, we brought in Jan Shaw to uh, take care of a lot of the um, the the details of of boat racing. Um, she understands the insurance. She understands dealing with APBA and all the dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's that that haven't been done in the past. And it will be really nice to have a go-to person to get answers um, for people. 
And so those two things are pretty huge. As far as the race sites go, um, I'm going to speak quite frankly and more my own opinion about um, how that goes. Uh, the race sites are having trouble generating funds to promote boat racing. Um, and I'm not sure what the problem is there mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not a student of putting on a race as far as on the unlimited level. I know they work, I expect they work very hard to try and get it done, but it's not getting done. And, um, you know, last time I checked, diesel was about three and a half bucks a gallon. Yeah. And the pay, the, the tow money that we get now is less than it was in 1980 when I started boat racing. And um, diesel was probably 30 cents a gallon back then. You know, certainly, certainly less than a third than what it is now. So, anyway, um, and not to mention motel rooms and everything else. So, there's a problem there, and the Detroit race is huge in tradition. Um, it's a fan favorite. Uh, I think it's everybody's, a favorite of everybody's. I, I brought people to the Detroit race, and they're down in the rooster tail turn, and they just, their jaws drop every time you see boats go through there. And um, and it's a, an incredible place to to have a race um, with the, the Detroit Yacht Club on the backstretch and everything else. And, um, but they moved the date, requiring the, the race teams to go back east twice, and that's not as big a problem as the fact that there's only one race that you go back for and that's the Detroit race one race and they are not paying anything close to justifying going back there and um, their requirements although um are understandable on my part are not something that we can satisfy uh, their boat count requirement is not what we can produce right now um, and the amount they want to pay per boat is less than just about anybody will accept now as these payments have gone down or stayed the same, we used to do four or five races back there. So you make one trip back east, and you make four or five races back there, and then you come back west. Right. Now we go back for two, come back to Seattle for two, go back to Detroit for one, and then go to San Diego for one. Yeah. It makes no sense. No. Um, I understand why they did it. It just isn't practical for us to do at that time of the year. Okay. Um, I'm not faulting Detroit for their decisions at all, but they can't fault us for ours either. It has to make sense. So that being said, there's been some talk of trying to figure out a solution to that. Um, but 
we haven't gotten very far. Um, there's other people that are talking to us about race sites. Talk's cheap. Yeah. Um, with, we would love to get another East Coast race yes. to tie in. Yeah. Um, and we'd love to have another West Coast race. I don't know that with the all-volunteer crews pretty much that we have nowadays, that you could do the 12 boat se 12 race season like they used to. I don't think that's yeah. realistic right now. Yeah. But I could see a six or a seven race season. Yeah, I mean, in anything more than we have now would be nice for the fans, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, like I say, Gunnersville is just great. Um, I don't know Evansville, Owensboro. I mean. Until they get going again and they get some sort of, of uh, a business model, it's really hard to talk to them. Yeah. So I don't see us having another race this year unless it's an exhibition somewhere. So, um, and that's unfortunate, but um, I would rather tell the people this is what we have to offer than to promise something and then not be able to deliver. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so. I, I hope more appreciate the honesty than uh, false promises, right? Because the false promises, I think, irritates more than, uh, than the other, so. Well, the, the <laughs> traditional thing where they say they're gonna, you know, you know, how do you promise a boat count? I mean, there is no way to um, contractually bind a boat owner to go to a boat race. So here's H1. They go enter into a contract with a race site and say, we can give you this many boats. And then you turn around the other way and you go, okay, all you boat guys come to this race and some of them say quite frankly I'll come there if I feel like it <laughs> and some of them will go all the time every race all the time and then there's a few in the middle and to be honest with you nobody in their right mind would enter into a contract on those bases but H1 is expected to yeah. H1's expected to enter into those contracts are expected to satisfy all the boat owners requirements and satisfy the race sites requirements and how can you do that when you don't have binding agreements on both sides right right That's, how do you do that you know so h1's in a in a in an interesting situation now boat count used to be in my opinion based off of sponsors mm -hmm. when winston was paying what they paid to go to the to to Woomer mm -hmm. to go to a race, he was going to have a boat there. Oh yeah, trust me. It wasn't Water. the tow money that got him. <laughs> there. Um, Bernie, mm -hmm. he was going to have a boat at every race. Oh, yeah. You know, Atlas Van Lines. You know, you go down the list. Yeah. Well, yeah. all those national sponsors or whatever you want to call them are gone, except for Home Street. Right. And in fact, Home Street probably is more of a West Coast sponsor than an East Coast sponsor, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. Um, the, con the interest they have, I believe, is they want the national championship, which means you have to go to all the races to get more points. But it isn't on the same level as 
you know, um, Kellogg's right. and Procter and Gamble mm -hmm. and Anheuser Busch and all that stuff. It's a different level than that. So um, that took care of the boat count back then. Now we don't have that. And how do you bind, legally bind a race team to go to a race? I don't know how you do that. So boat count's going to be an issue. Always will be. Actually, it always was. You know, I Dave Cully comes in here once in a while and talks, you know, and uh, he says, well, we were at the Washington, D.C. race, and there was four boats there. <laughs> and Bernie got two of his display boats out, and they threw Merlins in them and ran them just to, just to get boat count. So boat count yeah. has been an issue at times. Yeah. And that's and probably always going to be. So. Well, hopefully this year we'll have a, a strong year with some with our races and we do have some things to look forward to, right? Well, yeah. Um, I think what you're going to see is is you're going to see an interesting change in the racing, I think. You're going to see two boat teams. Okay, good. And um, that's probably where this thing's going to go is where people are going to have two boats to race and that'll change things a little bit. Um, do we let's go back to the rule book <laughs> if you have four say you have eight boats and you have four teams running two boats each do you let both boats from a team run in the same heat That's a good question. Could you see what would happen there if one oh, boat yeah. was just an also ran and the other one was the main player? What might happen there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Somebody might get in the way of somebody in, else. Oh, yeah. Team driving and all that stuff. Yep. Um, but then you could open up other doors for some fun opportunities like the F1 and team championships. Right? That's right. Yeah. So there's, there's, so there's, there's more, it, more it, to it than that. I'm, I'm just going down yeah. one path <laughs> from the rule book. So do we, yeah. do we have to address the dual team situation? In the future, I expect we probably will. Yes. Um, but like you say, is it a positive thing? It could be. Yeah. If it's done right, yeah. um, it could be incredible. I mean, it could be two guys from the same team racing for the Gold Cup. Oh yeah. What kind of a race would that be? You know? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the two drivers and and how how that all works. Yeah. Or I mean, the thing could go anywhere, and um, but that's something to be dealt with, and I'm I'm absolutely positive that that's um, going to be an issue at some point. There will be several teams that have two boats, yeah. and is it going to be an issue in a negative or positive way? Only the future will tell. But that's the trend, I think. Well, I look forward to seeing issues out of that nature, right? I think that might be. Kind of fun from a fan standpoint. We are going to do everything we can to make it so that um, it's more understandable and more agreeable to the fan. I, I, it's it's difficult to do. Again, how do you do the penalties and stuff is, is going to be tough. But 
we're really working hard to make it so that the first boat across the finish line is the guy that wins. Good. That's the goal. Right. I'm not going to say we're going to succeed. <laughs> it's what we're trying to do because that's how it should be. Yeah. But it's a little bit on the race teams and the owners as well. Oh yeah. They need to race a clean race. You know, if they if they jump the gun or they go out of a line or they break a rule, they've got to get penalized. I mean, it's just yep. the way it is. So it's on everybody to make it a better sport. So. Well, we look forward to seeing it, it become that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, I really appreciate your time, Kelly. And uh, wish you luck in the off season so you can be prepared and wish you luck this year. Thanks for uh, coming by. Um, sorry I didn't have the heaters on sooner. We're all shivering in here. That's all right. Well, maybe uh, <laughs> I can come back when it's, it warms up a little bit and talk more. Okay. <laughs> I really want to thank Kelly Stockland for taking the time to sit down with me and to do this interview. He took a lot of time out of his busy schedule. And I really appreciate how honest he was, the great insight he gave with H1, the rule book and even talking about what to expect for the upcoming year and the season. I hope you've enjoyed our episode. Make sure you come back next week to listen to our next episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player, as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on the major players, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Talk is also online with our website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. And if you're really enjoying your experience and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website through the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.